Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abigail Martin. And this is your co-host, Robbie Martin. So a lot has been going on. We haven't been doing regular podcasts, but we are about to start doing podcasts, uh, releasing them every week. So you guys will get your Media Roots Radio fix. But <clears throat> right now we're on the verge of a Nobel Peace Prize president starting World War III. He's about to launch... Uh, missiles, cruise missiles into Syria after months and months of by proxy funding al-Qaeda terrorists in the country to topple Assad. And we're hearing the exact same rhetoric <clears throat> that we heard in the run-up of the Iraq war about weapons of mass destruction and, and chemical weapons and and also just humanitarian reasons. And it's just amazing to see people actually lap up the exact same propaganda that was heard a decade ago and completely believe it, as if we've learned absolutely nothing from the last 12 years of completely disastrous U.S. military interventions in Iraq, Libya, <clears throat> and Afghanistan. It resulted in full-blown destabilization of every country uh, that has been initiated into, quote, helping. Uh, Libya is a total failed state, 100%. Um, Iraq is a 100% civil war, practically. It just hasn't been declared as one yet. I mean, it's completely destabilized, and it borders Syria. And so you're seeing these two countries kind of, I mean, it's going to be very a very sad future for that whole region. And, of course, Egypt is also complete chaos right now. And uh, this government still has not declared an end to the one point eight, I think, billion dollars in military aid that the U.S. gives the Egyptian regime. It's the second largest recipient of U.S. aid in the world, second to Israel, who gets almost three billion dollars every year. Um, and you would think that after the military is just killing indiscriminately protesters uh, who are camping out and stuff, that, they w that, that aid would end. Um, but it hasn't yet. So there's a lot of horrifying things going on right now in that region of the world. <clears throat> and if you just look at the PNAC document, you can kind of see that this is kind of a, an end game for a long time from the whole cabinet of warmongers who have been working behind the scenes for a long time. And Obama's just kind of perpetuating it. Yep. And I mean, he's doing more than just perpetuating it. He has pretty much done everything in his power to make sure that the PNAC plan and what Wesley Clark was talking about when he said that the plan that he was told to uh, um, the plan that he was described was that we are going to invade seven countries in five years to essentially destabilize the Middle East so that we can bring it under our control. That plan is completely on track. I mean, the only maybe difference between what he said is that it's taken a lot longer, right. like in, in terms of the timeline, maybe like twice as long. But the prize <laughs> that he described is like the only countries that we haven't actually militarily conquered yet that he said on his list of seven countries was Sudan and Iran. Lebanon, and then the prize, which is Iran. That's yeah. that's the prize. And for people who are repeating this rhetoric and saying that we, you know, if if Assad kills a hundred thousand more people, you know, then the blood is on our hands or whatever. First of all, I'd like to just pose the question: Why is it that the U.S. has moral authority to go after countries and and you know, intervene militarily when the U.S. routinely uses chemical weapons in modern warfare, cluster bombs, white phosphorus, and depleted uranium, which literally lasts thousands, if not millions of years, is causing horrendous birth defects and will continue to. Um, very shocking, totally against the Geneva Conventions, <clears throat> yet the U.S. somehow claims that the red line is Syria using chemical weapons, and I don't even, I mean, where's the proof? Before we even 
talk about what to do. I mean, where's the proof that this is even happening? Because the UN weapons inspectors are in Syria. Why would Assad use them now when when Assad has already been making grounds against the rebel factions so it just nothing about it makes sense i would just hope that people would be a little bit more skeptical (laughs) with establishment claims now um but you can't really tell because you know here you have the corporate media completely parroting warmongering rhetoric the establishment parroting this and i don't really know how the people on the ground feel because i don't really trust polls I've never been polled ever. You're talking about like a Syrian yeah, population so it's poll like, or something? No, no, no. I mean, even here in America, like how many people actually support this new war? Yeah. Like if it really, if especially something like this, it really depends on how exactly how the question is asked in the poll. Yeah. You know, if you're saying like, do you support in military intervention against like a dick, like a leader who's killing his civilians with chemical weapons? Like that's a highly manipulative, like emotionally mm. manipulative mm-hmm. way to ask the question. So yeah, I mean, I, I would have to see what, you know, what polls, what exactly they say in the polls. And, know? and the reason why I said that we're, we could be gearing toward world war three, world war three is because Syria is a very volatile state. Um, and it has, it's, it has a lot of reproduction repercussions more so than just Iraq or Libya. I mean, clearly, yes, we've seen the repercussions of that and they've been horrendous. But Syria, on the other hand, like is tied directly to arms getting into Hezbollah and Hamas. And that could be, um, you know, the U.S. obviously has a thorn in the side of Israel and the U.S. for a long, long time. So that's a whole nother issue. And Syria is a classics. They they used to be like a client of the Soviet Union as well. So there is a and Russia is is you know they are still like allied in that sense with um, Syria just like we're still allied with all the countries that helped us fight the Cold War you know it's just like a it's just sort of like a remnant of that era. Bashar al-Assad was just interviewed in, in for this Russian newspaper and he was saying <clears throat> you know I'm fighting terrorists in my country I'm fighting Al Qaeda mm-hmm. like it's just so interesting when you look at the other side of the story for people who think that you know Assad is this genocidal dictator who's just indiscriminately killing hundreds of thousands of people on the other hand the US is funding and giving arms to Al Qaeda terrorist factions inside Syria yeah. at the same time spending billions of dollars if not trillions for the last 12 years fighting the same exact terrorist group around the world and when you say sense? the same exact terrorist group I mean I just well, want to yeah, parse I want to like split hairs because sure. I mean and I don't I don't even mean I want to split I'm hairs because I want to them I'm yeah. saying this is according to just, their own rhetoric dissecting the, the yeah. narrative that they've presented I mean what I think it boils down to is what you said to Howard Dean where one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter mm. it's that in the middle east when you hire militia rebel groups or mercenaries they are often islamic fundamentalist radical people that is like a, the that's pretty much like the common mo of the types of people that like fight insurgencies in the middle east i mean it's it was we- so weird to me how after 9-11 and when Iraq started, it was like Al-Qaeda in Iraq, Al-Qaeda in Iraq. I, you know, Al-Qaeda wasn't in Iraq until we invaded it. It's like I never really saw any evidence or proof that they were Al-Qaeda and not just Islamic fundamentalist insurgents. Yes, you it's know? been a very broad term that's been used to generalize every single faction, even just like homegrown people who probably lost their friends yeah. and family who just took up arms. I mean, it's just an easy way to just blanketly generalize everyone who's fighting the U.S. military as Al-Qaeda, I guess. Yeah, and it's like, and at the same time, like it's like a lot of these insurgent groups and, and mercenary groups they know that if they label themselves with al-qaeda they'll they'll get gain media attention you know mm-hmm. it's like 
it's almost like they're they're playing into each other's hand. They're playing into the U.S.'s hand because the U.S. needs that presence to sort of validate our military efforts around the world. And then they also use it. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. As we know, Al-Qaeda was never even considered an actual terrorist organization. It was literally called the base. It was just a hub. It was a database that we had of, I mean, it's the name we even gave to them, apparently. And a lot of people say the name wasn't even used before 9-11. That's not, that's a, actually disinformation. The, the name, the word was first used in American media in 1996 for, of the way that the U.S. government described this group that united bin Laden and Zawahiri and his very loosely knit group of like maybe 70 to 100 followers across the entire world of these people. And, you know, even these supposed training camps in Afghanistan that we were trying to like stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, some of them might have been linked with Al Qaeda, but probably a lot of them weren't, you know, like there's there are militant training camps around the world for for all types of scenarios and cultures. Like they probably have the similar things like down in South America, you know, for some of these mercenary groups like you know, basically all these supposed training camps are, are just like off the books, non-official government, like military training camps for like insurgent forces. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and in the past, when the U.S. has militarily backed extreme Islamic factions within countries, and the, the most prominent example is Afghanistan, obviously, when the U.S. backed the Mujahideen that was headed by bin Laden to fight the Soviet Union in the country, it backfired tremendously. And so when you see the U.S. doing the same thing in Iran and Syria, I mean, you have to ask yourself, what are the repercussions going to be when you have, <clears throat> yes, I mean, Assad, obviously, I don't agree with... I, I think every dictator who's brutal should fall, but I don't think that the U.S. should be involved in facilitating that in any way, because every time that that's happened, it's always been for an ulterior motive. The U.S. does not go and intervene in anywhere for humanitarian purposes. If they, if we did, then why didn't we go into Uganda and Sudan and, and all these countries and, you know, in Africa? Well, of course, or even like Japan no during the tsunami. I mean, yeah. if it was really about humanitarian efforts, the fucking U.S. military and the National Guard would have been in ha- Haiti. Right. They would have been in... In, um, you know, in Pakistan, when all these giant earthquakes happen, it doesn't, it doesn't follow any logical premise besides the faith in the state as a good, as an altruistic entity. There is absolutely no logic. It is, right. it is, it is, is, it is as illogical as believing that your religion is the superior religion in the world. I mean, that's as base level as that goes. And it's, there's no reason to believe it. People presented like the false dichotomy. It's like, oh, you either support intervention and in doing something, or you support Assad. Like, what do you support yeah. Assad? It's like, no, well, I don't support Assad. I just don't support what they're proposing. And and I think it's such a dumb down narrative presented to us of course it's like the whole terrorists hate us for our freedom so let's just take all of them away kind of logic but people still don't get it um but yeah i mean it's just it's totally dumbed down and i just wish that we could have a dialogue about the reality of the situation which is syria is one of the last non-puppet states and when i say that i mean that they're not controlled by western head hegemonic yeah. forces and I that's mean, and that should seem so obvious to anyone who's like <laughs> looked at the global stage it's like isn't it a coincidence to like, especially the people who don't believe this stuff? It's like, isn't it a coincidence that all the countries we're invading are the ones that haven't been taken over by Western capitalism yet? I yeah. mean, or, or our government? Like, doesn't that say something in and of itself? Like, why is it that there's always this supposed humanitarian crisis happening in countries that we've already put on paper that we want to invade and that are not under control of like the Western capitalist mm-hmm. influence? I mean, mm-hmm. it's highly coincidental. 
that just happen to always be these countries. But you Robbie, know? they're just, using chemical weapons. Challenging. Yeah. It is. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, the chemical weapons. That is the red line for me. That is the red line where as soon as someone uses chemical weapons. We need to kill a lot of the and people in that the country. And even though the UN inspector just came out today, I think this is like in the Washington Times, and we'll link to it on the timeline right now, but he said that the rebels, there's evidence that the rebels actually are the ones who use the sarin gas, and a lot of people are saying that that is the case because, like I said before, why now would Assad make this decision? I don't, I don't know. He could be just totally fucking crazy, but it just seems very odd timing that all of a sudden Assad would just use sarin gas and kill it does. all these people. And we already tried it, We already tried to cook up the same um, rhetoric yeah, months, months ago. ago. I mean, when yeah. I was finishing him up American Bisque, like the movie basically, one of the, you know, part of the ending is like the war, the, the sort of war rhetoric about Syria ramping up to the point where it started sounding exactly like Bush, it where is. he just like chemical weapons, chemical weapons, weapons of mass destruction. It's about military domination. And if you cannot see that, then, I mean, you're lost. I mean, where have you been? You've been living under a rock the last 12 years. Haven't we learned by now? I mean, Iraq was one thing I understand kind of how people got duped, even though, even though the media portrayed it one way, there were millions of people in the streets resisting the war we still went in but it's like now i just there's absolutely no zero credibility and and i think part of the reason why there isn't there isn't as much movement or activity is because the obama administration is very good at dialing down and softening the same rhetoric that was that bush used to get us into wars like Bush and Cheney in the White House were very unashamed and very driven to just pound us with like the most intense. Is it going? Yeah. Okay, good. The most sure. intense rhetoric that they could come up with to get us involved in a war. The Obama administration is really good at sort of like softening it. Mm-hmm. And it's like all the key elements that will drive us. And it's like, you know, when certain words are used that we have committed to this action, like we are going to go in. And it's clear now that the Obama administration has used that language, but it's not, it's not as blatant and like a, and like a, um, just in your face as it was during Bush. So I feel like people just don't react to it. It's almost like it doesn't, it doesn't kick in their defenses, you know? It's sort of yes. like it just goes over their head, and they're like, oh, Well, yes, whatever. and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Obviously, partisanship is a huge one, and, and yeah. I think they were so... I mean, people, liberals were so disgusted with Bush and Cheney's, like, unabashed arrogance of just taking over the world, like this cowboy mentality of just, like, let's fuck them up, um, and who gives a shit, and we'll just go in there and do whatever we want. But Obama's branded it in such a way that, you know, we have these drone wars where there's no troops on the ground, so you see the whole democratic establishment parroting this bizarre rhetoric but that really i mean why is that good that now americans are more detached from war and drones cause more it's the biggest tool of terror that exists on the world today so that is totally erroneous but on top of that obama is so intelligent and he's he has this hypnotic tone that anything he says if he just tells you we're gonna bomb syria i mean you just like you're just like okay <laughs> like it's like it's like master of language. I mean, it's a master manipulator, and and people regard him as so intelligent that they just trust him. It's just an, this innate trust with this leader. And and I've talked to so many people who just say, "Well, I just trust Obama. I think that he's a good person." I'm like, "Why? He's a stranger. Why do you trust this man?" It's Why? faith-based, feel-good thinking. I mean, it's it feels good to make yourself feel as if there is some like a, someone actually looking out for your best interest. And 
I think it's like people desperately want to feel that because under Bush, people were so upset because this guy didn't really, you know, reflect my values and whatever. And it's almost just like a relief. It's like, oh, you know, finally I can trust someone. It'd be almost like if you, you know, I always think of it as like domestic abuse. If like your Mm -hmm. husband was an alcoholic and beat you for 10 years and then all of a sudden he went to rehab and he's clean there's a there's a chance it's there'd be like a psychological rubber band effect where you might actually just fall deeply in love with this person again and feel so relieved and so just so happy that they're loving you again and they're respecting you you know but you've been abused you've been you've been um basically scarred by abuse for for so long yeah it was like the pressure valve was ready to burst at the end of the bush administration and here we are and and how ironic is it that we have a nobel peace prize winner who's launched more cruise missiles than i mean than anyone any other president combined and also just gearing up to get into syria the most dangerous thing that we could ever do i mean other than iran i mean but that's that's the thing it's the next chess piece i mean it's all a fucking chess game what's really crazy to me is that this will be like libya was a nato effort yeah but this is officially the first like real like u.s military sent into another country by obama's like Obama is making the decision to, you know, send in the U.S. military, and it shows you how, like, even though he's he's a psychotic sociopath, clearly, like, it shows you how much he surrounded himself with war hawks too. Which I mean, I've, I don't give him any excuses at all, but I think the entire administration is just full of like bushite psychopaths. I mean, like, look who, look who's like about to head this, uh, the CIA and the new DHS head. They're looking at Ray Kelly, the guy who was pioneering the stop and frisk program in the NYPD. He's going to be the new DHS head. I mean, what the fuck? These people are psychotic. Well, it's These just people like- are racist and psychopaths. I mean, why would we ever trust to implement Ray Kelly's policies into the federal level? Like it's unbelievable. Yeah. It is really unbelievable. I mean, it is. I'm. Cont- I am continually surprised by the lengths <laughs> that the White House has been going. Even though I am so cynical, and I think it's. I know it's I mean, crazy. I'm when I actually, and I think we should play some of this right now. Maybe, maybe Why? we can. Um, some of this John Kerry speech. Did, yeah. Have you seen it yet? Yeah. Um, do you want? Should we play a little clip? Sure. Okay. Can I say something else really quick? Yeah. Even the big new Brzezinski who wrote the book, The Grand Chessboard, was on like MSNBC or something. It's a really good clip where he's just like, the U.S. is engaging in so much propaganda to try to get us into Syria. He's like, it's the most dangerous thing ever. It's totally all manufactured. It was like crazy to hear someone like him really like trying to talk about Sy- the, the absolute truth about what's happening right now. And this was even, you know, this was obviously a couple months ago. It was just kind of chilling. Yeah, and I guess the only thing notable about this John Kerry speech, I mean, I can't stand to hear the guy talk. I think he's one of the probably one of the most boring sounding politicians ever. His it's like I don't even (laughs) I don't even like get angry usually at his what he says because it's just so boring and he's just so long winded when he talks. But this speech, the reason it's notable is because it's clear. There's a clear distinction between when we're just saber rattling with certain countries and using certain rhetoric to sort of, you he know. It's really weird. He looks like he had like um, 
Botox. He injected like oil in his face. Oh, he's got a lot of shit going on in his face. Yeah, he's got. <laughs> he injected like cooking lift, oil in his face. Dude, face you lift. can't even afford a good plastic surgeon, bro. Yeah, it's like a donut Damn. head, uh, like Japanese Damn, silicone dude. injection. <laughs> Damn, dude, what well, something went wrong? <laughs> Is that your new laugh? Yeah. Our response uh, wow. to the use of chemical weapons. What we saw in Syria last week should shock the conscience of the world. It defies any code of morality. Let me be clear. The indiscriminate slaughter of any code of morality, killing of women and children, and innocent bystanders. Oh, you mean like drones? Chemical weapons. Oh, okay. Moral by any standard, it is inexcusable, and despite the excuses and equivocations that some have manufactured, it is undeniable. Is that why so the UN has like rejected it? Yeah, right it's the, notice the defensive tone already. Thirty seconds into the speech, it is undeniable. So basically, he's already trying to like shield himself from the criticism that it, there's no proof that it actually happened. And he actually gets really defensive like several other times throughout the speech, where he's yeah. A conviction shared, even by countries that agree on little else. There is a clear so now he's using the logical fallacy of deferring to authority by saying that the proof is in the fact that every country in the world agrees that their chemical weapons have been used. So we need to accept that because every supposedly every country in the world. Where where did they agree? Was there like a statement? Apparently, yeah. signed by every leader saying yes, that happened. And lock them down where they do exist. There is a reason why President Obama has made clear to the Assad regime. So notice how it's not just about like overthrowing Assad or getting about a power to make him stop using chemical weapons. It is distinctly about making sure that those chemical weapons are secured, which means that that's going to be a long-term commitment. Because, A, they're not going to find him. Which is, to me, really fucking weird. It's almost like they're setting themselves up again for, like, another, like, WMDs not being found. And, like, it just seems really odd. Like, why would they do that? Like, just fucking say you're going to go in and, like, kill this guy. Yeah. But now they're saying, yeah, they're going to secure these weapons. Videos that anybody can watch in the social media. Oh, you mean, like, the videos of the rebels beheading a bunch of people and, like, running around with machetes? express in words the human suffering that they lay out before us. As a father, I can't get the image out of my head. Emotional heartstrings. This dead child, wailing while chaos swirled around him. The images of entire families dead in their beds without a drop of blood or even a visible wound. Bodies contorting in spasms. Human suffering. Wow, he's getting deep. Or forget. Yeah, just like the just like the night raids that mistakenly kill whole families in Afghanistan, and then the troops dig the bullets out of the bodies and deny that they ever did it. Well, this to me that it wrenches just, my heartstrings too. It just has this weird yeah, it has this weird flavor where it's like really if you really think about it, why is it a chemical weapon murdering a bunch of civilians indiscriminately is any morally reprehensible than someone just walking into a family's home and just blowing them away with a bunch of machine guns or bombing their house? Like, or a drone just what, is there really a difference in terms no. of morality? I don't see one at all. So I don't really understand why 
that's so much more horrifying to him when he thinks about his kids at night to have them sleep like no bloods on their bodies or whatever than just like I'd actually be more horrified to think about my kids like dismembered on the floor like riddled with bullet holes and charred corpses from a bomb attack I mean I just or blown apart like literally blown apart it's just such an odd thing to think that there's a moral distinction between the two the chemical weapons were used in Syria moreover we know that the Syrian regime maintains custody. Of I mean, and granted, weapons. it's awful. I'm not saying that like no. chemical weapons are like not no, no, awful, no. but you, I mean, no. And and also, I, yeah, no. We're not. No one's <laughs> defending like Assad, and no one's defending people. anyone. Yeah, murdering a bunch of innocent people to me is just doesn't really matter how what the method was that was used. We have additional information about this attack. And that information is being compiled and reviewed together with our partners, and we will provide that information. Oh, we heard that before. Mm-hmm. Our sense well, many times. Basically so saying... So you expect us to just believe you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they have the white paper. Yeah, yeah ready to go. We're proving Bin Laden did 9-11. We'll get that white paper out to you real quick. In turn, the Syrian regime has failed to cooperate with the UN investigation, using it only to stall... Sounds very familiar. ...the important effort to bring to light... What happened in Damascus? Saddam is using diplomacy as a tool to deceive and thwart the UN's weapons inspectors. And because of this, we need to stop Saddam and his regime from possibly getting nuclear weapons or chemical weapons into the hands of al-Qaeda or terrorists. I mean, it is almost like you can just replace replace the word. Yeah, Yeah, I mean... They're already they're already going as far as saying that they're gonna like mess with the UN. So even if, so, basically they're setting us up for not only that they're going to military invade, but if the UN at a certain point backs out, we're still gonna go. Mm-hmm. Is basically what he's saying, which is pretty fucking crazy for the Obama administration. Failure to permit that, I told him, would tell its own story. Instead, for five days, the Syrian regime refused to allow the UN investigators access to the site of the attack that would mobile weapons labs instead it redux, redux. so they basically are keep hiding the, the evidence of the chemical weapons somehow when these UN weapons inspectors have come in the Syrian regime has managed to like secretly whisk away their their chemical weapons program and hide it each time eager to prove to the world that it had not used chemical weapons. The saddest thing about all of this is that the Syrian people are just being used as pawns. I mean, Russia's uh, funding Assad and the U.S. is funding, like, the rebels. It's just so sad. Yeah. It just seems so misguided and it's really disgusting to use some sort of, like, morality to justify why you think you have the authority to... I've spent many like militarily affect this sovereign nation because you think that what they're doing the is like morally is reprehensible you know? based on their rhetoric yeah. like that really I mean even when we were a lot you know even during Reagan and stuff that was never they never really used that as a justification for war until Bush mm-hmm. I mean there was like humanitarian well, it's a Bush doctrine yeah it's like the, it is like fundamentally the idea that we need to like our democracy is superior to this other country's form of law right you know you could strip away all the chemical weapons rhetoric and just that's basically what there's what is yeah think, think about that for a second the after 9-11 the US took on the moral authority to preemptively invade and and uh, militarily intervene in countries based on Nothing, no threat to the U.S. whatsoever. I mean, that is a totally new form of warfare. It's very, very dangerous. 
Very dangerous. Yeah, so the, the Bush Doctrine is such a lunatic concept. I mean, to preemptively invade a nation if you think that they may be a threat in the future or just somehow use their way of life as like a threat to our democracy, even though you're constantly undermining the democracy that we have. Yeah. And then people call Bush's, the Bush doc, doctrine, neoconservatism, you know? Right. But if you really think about it, you know, the idea of that we need to save these people mm-hmm. is sort of like a liberal idea. And, it, and, and then the idea that we can use the military might of the United States to save these people is like a neoliberal idea and it's almost like that when you really think about it that way that it's all about this false premise that our moral our morals are superior to their morals mm-hmm. therefore we need to take over their country and install our morals which is not even really the reason why we're doing it but that's the reason that's used it's a philosophy that's used neo it makes it like that it's like neoliberalism and neoconservatism are almost yeah, they're, they're the same in that way they're they're using this liberal premise of morality and humanitarianism to kill and mm-hmm. increase the empire it's it's really um it just makes me wonder if like throughout other empires in history if that type of rhetoric was ever used like did the roman empire ever like claim that they were invading and taking over land because like they they like thought they were like better i'm sure more like they're they were like better in terms of a more morality you know that guided them it'd be interesting while to they're look back <laughs> at other empires that have fallen and see why that they you know what rhetoric was used and what motives were told to the people and all that. But I think it's always interesting that people even have the concept that we are somehow morally superior or like more evolved or than the Middle East when the U.S. has actively suppressed the evolution of uh, or just progress in these countries for so long. I mean, propping up Mubarak for 50 plus years the Afghanistan thing, pushing radical Islam and, and fostering yeah. this kind of extremism there and setting that country back decades. It's based on the other false premise that the evolution of the Middle East has like happened in a vacuum. Right. You know? Right. Like, but we, the problem is we have not just, it's like, and, the, and then there's this sort of more ignorant, more naive approach where it's like, well, is it really fair? You know, it's like Bill Maher's approach where it's like, really? It's not, is it really fair that they hate us so much? I mean, come on. Is there, are they really that bad just because we've been like invading Iraq and stuff? It's like, no, that's not, that's not all we've been doing. We've actually been meddling with and like overthrowing their country's leaders for decades and decades. I mean, Iran, the reason the Iranian revolution happened in the first place is we, because we installed a, a dictator who like tortured people and he, to them represented the West yeah. And it wasn't just because like he brought in sort of Western cultural values and capitalism. It was because he was a fucking puppet of the Western establishment right, the in the first, U.S. government. First democratically elected leader in Iran. And we completely overthrew. The CIA went in there. It was called Operation Ajax 1953. Completely overthrew the Iranian democratically elected leader. And people wonder why Iran... Is the way. I mean, it's just like the people have no concept of history. It's like the chronic amnesia. It's the United States of amnesia, as Gore Vidal said. It's completely true. It's like no one even learns history and why things are the way they are. You'll never see these this conversation on the corporate media. It's just so superficial. It's like just, you know, buzzwords and talking points without any concept of yeah. understanding of why. And to me, like, there's these people who who are like sort of more scholarly when it comes to like people who have similar politics to us, but they focus more on like sort of the nuances of the 
sort of the historical interactions between all these countries, but almost take on a little bit more of a distance approach when it comes to like, like the U.S.'s intentions. It's almost like the U. It's almost like the, a lot of this history is done in the framework of the U.S.'s intentions. Let's just assume. Let's just take them at face value, but still sort of imply that you know we had, didn't really have to overthrow mistakes. this government. Yeah, like we were just we were still trying to do good, but in the process, like we did a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. well, like the like the dropping the two nuclear weapons. People still tell me yeah. like, oh, and well, that's a like million people would have died. Oh yeah, and I'm like, but where are those facts coming from? The military? Like who? where are you getting that from yeah yeah and i just i guess i just feel like when i have a lot of these discussions with people online and stuff about syria there's a lot of people who are very intelligent and very knowledgeable who go into the, some of this minutia of this and try to like explain almost like too much history and it's like all i care about <laughs> is that the u.s government you cannot take their intentions at face value because they, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to like, if that's how you start your arguments or that's like what in the framework you're working in, then you're like destined to fail or not even get even remotely close to the truth because the U S government is blatantly deceptive Mm -hmm. and they are very good with using rhetoric. That's actually sounds believable, but it's like, once you learn of all these things that they've done and the patterns that they've done, you know, for multiple generations and it's it's just really to me it's just really clear cut it's like we are going into syria because this is part of our long-term plan to overthrow the middle you know every leader in the middle east and eventually in some way have influence over it indefinitely i mean that's all it really is and like it's very (laughs) any any you know saying like well what do you you know what do you think we should do if you know we just want millions of people to die you know from assad it's like that's it's almost like missing the main point (laughs) that's driving this all that why do you trust the united states government's word right you know even if he did really launch chemical weapons against his own people it's it would be like a perfectly opportunistic way for them to do this. And you still can't trust the word that they're doing it for that reason. Well, even if they, they even, use it, they might yeah. use truth to drive their own propaganda. I mean, that's people do that all the time. Yeah, and can we please just remember what happened in Iraq when, when they first went in and Rumsfeld said it was going to be like a six week war. And even if some Syrians support intervention because they are dying and they want this shit to end, I'm sure a lot of Iraqis at the very beginning were a little bit hopeful that Saddam was being removed. And look at the fucking sure. country now. It's a complete disaster. I mean, well, the, we couldn't get out. Yeah. I mean, it's completely destabilized. I mean, yeah, Syria, it has been a civil war for a while, but but Jesus, I mean, this is not the answer. And really, when is this intervention going to end? And that's the problem. It might not ever. Well, it's clearly, I mean, the whole like structure and buildup of the United States is shows that it's not going to end. I mean, oh, I wanted to ask you, what, what do you think about how the CIA has come in coming out with these very blatantly obvious truths? Like in the last month, like, oh yeah, we've been spying on Noam Chomsky. Oh yeah, Operation Ajax is like, was a CIA operation to overthrow the Iranian government. Oh yeah, um, Area 51 exists. It's like, yeah, sh- no shit that's on Wikipedia. Like, what do you mean? Like, why are you coming out with this now? It's almost like they're like desperately trying to gain some credibility or like transparency in the light of all this maybe. blatant lies. Yeah, maybe I didn't even know about it. You I didn't? heard about Area 51. That yeah. was the only one I heard about. But It was just very strange. Yeah, maybe maybe they are... I mean, obviously, they have a tr- big trust 
there's a big like a crisis of confidence and trust right now in the, in the United States government that I don't think has happened since maybe the backlash against the Iraq war that really like drew everybody in the mainstream into it as well. Not just like, you know, anti-war protesters and they have to do damage control in some form. So maybe that's just them. Yeah. Attempting, you know, really vapidly to like gain some sort of yeah. trust. But I wanted to make a comment about the one man's terrorist and the man's freedom fighter. Speaking of Howard Dean, there's this group called the Mujahideen al-Khalq in Iran, and it's speculated. I mean, they are known to have been, you know, caused car bombings uh, 10 years or whatever ago in Iran. <clears throat> but most recently, the assassination of all those nuclear scientists is speculated to be at the hands of the Mujahideen al-Khalq. And they're an organization that the State Department took off its terror watch list because the U.S. government's fostering the terrorism to overthrow the Iranian government. I mean, so when you're when you're looking at the war on terror, it's just so hypocritical and face value you when you see what quote unquote are the good terrorists and the bad terrorists you know and and what the u.s government considers as terrorism is like hamas the democratically elected leadership of palestine or i mean it's just it's just so ridiculous the rhetoric just doesn't make any sense well yeah it's it's like it's almost like um (laughs) i think of almost one of those like where was those robot vacuum cleaners called that like spin around by itself yeah that like what they do (laughs) how they operate is they Roomba. Roomba, it like it like somehow by just a, it doesn't actually have to like measure the whole room size, but using like some sort of algorithm inside the the little mini computer it has, it's able to eventually cover like all the surface area of the floor. I almost feel like that's what happens when you actually try to examine all this rhetoric. Is you once you examine it all and actually cover all the surface area of it, you see how it doesn't. It actually doesn't make logical sense mm-hmm. that. Because what you just said, the the whole like terror, the the idea of you know the M E K being a quote unquote terrorist organization, it's in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Who you know, it's in it's who are they allied with? It's just like they say that you know the, the winners are the ones that write history. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the winners are also the ones that write like the paradigm and the framework for which we even like understand reality now. You know, like that's it's like what Carl Rove said. Remember? That? Yeah, exactly. He was yeah, talking exactly. to Ron. Yeah. I almost the remember the quote. Yeah, exactly. Is Ron Suskin? He was in a writer for the New York Times, and he was speaking to a top White House aide. Basically, it came out later. There was Carl Rove, but he wrote in the New York Times. This is like kind of in the run up to the Iraq War, maybe shortly after. But Carl Rove just said, "We," he said, "You guys just sit back and write about the reality that we present." He's like, "We are." Fuck! I forget the quote now. I thought I had. I thought I completely had it verbatim. He was basically saying that. Yeah, I know. I'll botch it too. Why don't we just like? Well, just look it up really quick. Let's read it. Yeah. Do you have your laptop? Yeah. Here, just keep um, going. I'll find it. Yeah. I mean, th- that's. It's it's you know it's the idea of framing the debate. Uh, that what goes along with all this stuff is this. Really, I mean, it's a it is really smart because it's effective and it's. They've, they, you know, it's been thought out, but it's ultimately it, it doesn't hold up to just logic, and that's, I mean, but most people don't n- normally think in that sort of logical f- fashion when they're like when they're sort of being emotionally led by, you know, things like, well, don't you want to save these people in Syria, you know, from being killed? They're very emotionally driven, designed to. Okay, I just found it. So Ron, said, this is right after the Iraq invasion. He said that. This is a quote from Karl Rove. Uh, or I'm sorry. 
That's basically the guy paraphrasing what Karl Rove said. He said, the aide said that guys like me were in, quote, what we call the reality-based community, which Karl Rove defined as people who believe that solutions emerge from your judicious, judicious study of discernible reality. That's not the way the world really works anymore. We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, judiciously as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities, which you can study too, and that's just how things will sort out. We're history's actors, and you, all of you, will be left to just study what we do. That's the arrogance of these people. That's what Karl Rove and Bush and Cheney and Obama, that's all what they think. The press is just, there's such contempt for anyone who's like, you know... Yeah, I mean, as long as they're always to be one step ahead of at least at the very least, just the mainstream press with this type of rhetoric, and and mainstream press buys into it and doesn't immediately question it, then they will always be able to manipulate the sort of the framework of the reality that we even have these kind of discussions about. And Isn't with it also you know? just interesting that the fact that this country's supposedly broke, <laughs> like. Why? Where is this money coming from to start another war? I mean, Good question. Yeah, isn't I don't you guys know. Like broke right now, like the sequester and all that shit. I mean, it was that all just like yeah. Detroit's like big, you know, just totally fucked. Good question. I mean, it School, just Chicago just cut like forty-seven elementary schools. It's like unbelievable what's going on in this country right now. Yeah. <laughs> where's I mean, where's the war money coming from? It's just amazing how the the U.S. military never ceases to find a way to pay for new wars, no matter what the rhetoric we hear about having schools closed, education cut, health you know, social services cut, no meals on wheels for seniors anymore, no this, no that. Oh, but we can just bomb the shit out of Syria and give the Egyptian military one point eight billion dollars a year to just fucking brutalize their people. Because yeah, I that's mean, it, America. It's kind of like. Um, it's like funny money. It's like they act like they're running out of money when it when it comes to justifying why these certain services need to be cut. But then when it comes to a war, somehow, magically, there's always a way to do it. Because so many people benefit immensely from these type of foreign incursions. I mean, even if you just want to look at it on like a purely corporate capitalism, you know, as soon as we take over Syria and install a new puppet or whatever, that'll allow American businesses to flourish there. Or multinational corporations that would norm- normally been allowed to like operate there. There's a lot of money to be made just in the future. If you're looking like 30 years down the road, like w- having one extra country in the world, sort of working with inside your ec- economic system is me- extremely beneficial. Yeah. And yeah. the money, it's just like so. It's like wherever we're getting this money from, I'm sure it's not that hard to get because right. at some point it's going to pay off to the money masters. I mean, it really is like that's it doesn't matter how many people get killed. doesn't matter how much of a quagmire it is. Like eventually this is like the thing that really does make me sad about even like, you know, we say Vietnam is still communist and stuff. But I feel like this our philosophy will it'll creep in and eventually like it's like almost like unstoppable, you know, like it's a we machine. will. Yeah, we will. We're going to we're going to get our way somehow. You know, as long as the American empire is still going. Yeah, we're it, gonna f- is, it is a machine. And what you were saying before stuck with me because we were talking about, um, well, our dad was talking to us about 
um, you know, communism, and he was he was saying that he was hearing someone who grew up in in the Soviet Union just saying it was like so bad, and he was saying that he's lived in America and now he's seen kind of the same way of life. And Robbie and I were just saying, well, it's kind of it's a lot worse now than just living under like a communist leader or like communist rule because now it's a it's a global system of everyone's tied into it, yeah. that are tied together and and phasing out every last remaining state. Yeah. That's terrifying. Well, yeah. I mean, it might be like livable in now, but the potential for it to like stifle us as much as what that supposed, you know, experience was like under communism is just as possible. And it'll be way far more permanent and unstoppable and, if it actually gets to that level. And I wanted to say one thing about the RT thing, because I mean, of course, trolls hit me up every day saying that I'm a propagandist for Russia and all this bullshit. But I mean, isn't it? a little bit scary to people that the corporate media is towing the line of the establishment and they're not state run i mean what does that tell you when you have the well, corporate yeah. media literally selling the wars and parroting the exact same thing stenography mm-hmm. of the of the establishment i mean they might as well be state run oh, exactly that's the that's a great point because i remember when i first heard of russia today um it was over the Giorgio setia thing mm-hmm where like Russia was saying that this is actually their territory or whatever and they, you know, militarily use force on this on this like I don't know if it was a province or something. But what was interesting is the US media was going after Russia today and so was like the internet. It was one of those mm-hmm. like internet viral campaigns which oftentimes I think are driven by money interests or they're like they're Absolutely. manufactured. But this one was like look at Russia today. Obviously they are they're only saying that, you know, Ossetia, like, this is actually not, like, an aggressive invasion because it's ran by Russia, right? And I remember, the, and like, they are saying, but the rest of the world's media is telling the truth. You know, BBC, mm-hmm. CNN, they're telling the truth that it's an aggressive military invasion. And then I remember I, the first thought I had was, well, isn't that strange and almost more eerie that the entire Western media establishment is on the same page and only one channel in Russia is like not on that same page? <laughs> like that's in a way to me. Yeah, it's worse and, and almost scarier because where is that coming from? Why are all these different media networks in all these different countries, England, the UK, right. you know, all saying the same thing and sort of on the same page? And also what Laurie said last night where she said at least... You know Russia. You hear, you know, RT, and it's called RT now, but, like, you know that it's Russia. Um, all these other networks, MSNBC, CNN, Fox, you, there's so many interests tied together and pushing these networks, and they're so invested in all these different corporations, and the board of directors are tied into, like, the food and the weapons industry and um, and telecommunications and stuff. It's like, we, it's so much fucking harder to, to dig through it and decipher what the hell is going on. It's just so untrustworthy. It's like, at least you know, like, yes, this is the Russian perspective. It's yeah. what you won't hear on the U.S. channels and the corporate media because it's the other side of the story. But as far as, like, the corporate media, it's a fucking joke. And also, there's just no equal scrutiny applied to BBC or Al Jazeera. Which I don't understand why because I don't... I mean, if you don't trust RT, then I would just hope that you would apply that same scrutiny to Al Jazeera, which is funded by the Qatari government, or Britain which is BBC, but for well, some reason you just point, don't yeah. hear that. It's because, it's because they, you know, they have somehow developed themselves in these like more respectable institutions. And that's really the only reason right. it's like, why it's like, that's the key thing. It's like, well, Russia hasn't sort of been on, you know, Russia today hasn't been around long enough and has been gaining the same amount of respect. So like, that's mm-hmm. really the only reason it's not, 
Right, know, it's not, not because placating. they're more they're directly in the establishment like these other organizations yeah. are. And then it's not because they're more directly driven by the Russian government than, say, the you know, Al Jazeera is driven by the Qatari government. It's just it's just that's the way right. that's the way we're sort of conditioned to feel about them, you know. And, and at first at first Al Jazeera was hate widely hated. Mm-hmm. Now they're respected. Mm-hmm. It's like well, this is probably just because they tamed themselves down and got more Absolutely. mainstream. You Absolutely. know, they're completely mainstream. Originally, now. they were the scorn of. I remember people like Fox News thought they were like ran by terrorists and shit. <laughs> I mean, that's the way they would talk about them. So ignorant. Oh yeah, Stephen was just telling me that Fox News is like so fucking like being super offensive about the Chelsea Manning thing. I haven't seen any corporate media coverage of this at all, other mm-hmm. than the day that it happened because it was on my last day at work and just seen. It was kind of interesting to see the corporate media forced to cover transgender issues and they like didn't understand what was going on they didn't really understand like how to approach it yeah but i didn't even watch fox news and i can't even imagine like the disgrace that is fox news even trying to cover transgender issues and chelsea manning at all um but i just wanted to say i think it's amazing that one of the best whistleblowers and most heroic people in history is a female transgender and i think chelsea manning's awesome and i think it's really sad that people are immediately retorting like oh well uh, you know, like even people who were supporting her when she was like before they knew that she was transgender were coming out now saying that they don't want the state to pay for her hormone therapy in jail. It's like, really? Like, that's what you care about? I mean, what, what the fuck does that matter? It's like, Jesus Christ, that's the least we can do for her. She's in fucking prison. Yeah. Forever. I mean, God, I want to like start a Kickstarter campaign if the, if the state doesn't pay for her hormone therapy and pay for it. I mean, what I, I guess what I'm wondering also is is I, I'm I would be surprised if the U.S. military even like has allowed that to happen before. Like, have they actually? I don't think have they allowed to. a soldier to transition their gender. I know before has that ever? I can't. It's like we just repealed "Don't Ask, Don't Tell," <laughs> and it just makes me really sad to think that like. If this is like the first instance that's happening, like that's like a huge news story it's in huge. of itself. That's like, so and it should be. It should be like a dress. It's like, what if someone else want to do this? Can can you transition your gender if you're like a mil- if you have a military career? You know, and you live in a military base. Like, are you even? Is like, I just wonder what would happen to someone else if they did that. I just thought it was so. Because Bradley Manning's already in jail, so it's like Chelsea Manning. <laughs> I thought I just thought it was so cool that the world is watching her. Like, right after the trial ends, the world's watching. Everyone's talking about the verdict and the sentencing and shit, and that's when David Coombs comes out with like the statement. You know, he's just like, "Boom!" Like, "Badam!" Like that. How much? How much balls does that take? Like, holy shit! Like, when the world is watching you the most, that's when you come out. I mean, I'm sure that she obviously wanted to come out years prior, but she thought it would affect the trial. But it's just really amazing um, move, and it's just really, really cool just to see that. What, what are you looking for right now? Um, but yeah I'm gonna post I'm gonna post her address on the SoundCloud timeline you can write Chelsea Manning in prison although I think you have to address the envelope to Bradley Manning Um, but you know write her write her and just tell her that you support her because I'm sure that after being in solitary confinement for two years and just being like tortured and humiliated and being just degraded and uh, I think that she would really enjoy having uh, people write her in support excuse me French yeah, isn't that unbelievable? Yeah. I mean, I'm. I didn't even know that you'd be able to write her. Yeah. At all, and that letters would even get to her. I yeah. mean, maybe, maybe now that she's been charged. Right. 
but before I don't know was anybody even like taught communicating you with couldn't her in communicate with her before, yeah. yeah so I wonder if I mean I'd just be really curious like I want to like has anybody been trying to get interviews with her since or anything because I'm sure well, we were thinking we want to like try to conduct an interview letter yeah like just try to be amazing the yeah. conversation so because literally the only thing to come out you know is that statement yeah. in court that was like recorded or it was right. also like tech like transcript and it was just too. it was so sad that people even had the nerve to like dissect it and be like oh chelsea manning loves big brother now oh now she loves big brother it's like dude are you fucking kidding me what like why don't mean? you like like basically what? how how she just like apologized and pleaded to the judge to let her live a productive normal life it's like yeah would you do anything differently if you were fucking faced with life in jail after being tortured for three years in solitary confinement and no trial and due process like would you plead for your life out of jail or would you say like i you know what i mean did she like, plead guilty no, she pleaded non guilty to every single charge. But, Wait, I don't. I'm not. I guess I don't quite understand. She pleaded guilty to a couple charges, but pleaded not guilty to a lot of them. And she got charged with, ultimately with like 19 out of 21 charges or something like that. Six charges of espionage. But I guess I still don't understand why. Why would anyone say you, she loved? Big because brother? in her statement, she was like apologizing. She said, "I'm sorry for anyone that I hurt. I never meant for my actions oh, to hurt anyone." Oh. And people were just like, "Oh, oh how dare God. she?" It's like, dude, what? Come on, like, you, like, imagine you yourself about? being like facing yeah. like a military judge. I'd probably you know? be fucking sobbing. I mean, Jesus Christ. I, I mean, just... have you watched them? I mean, I know I've brought this up like two other times in the podcast, but the movie A Few Good Men, have you ever seen that? <laughs> no. It's just like a good rep. I mean, it's probably like not that unrealistic of a representation of like how a military tribunal mm-hmm. actually goes. And it's like really intense. And all the jury are fucking like like colonels and shit i mean yeah. it's like they're all men i they're mean everyone's men. A, like there's no women to wear your like, military gear like donned in your little outfit every day and like before yeah. like a soldier like a male imagine soldier the intensity of a real case. court like a normal courtroom but with everyone who's like a soldier no, <laughs> like it's, it's, insane. In the it's insane and even the yeah. press the way that they were treated was so bizarre like my friend liz was covering the trial and andrew and they just said like they're just like super harassed by the guards every day and like they said the best part of the trial though was the collateral murder video got stuck on like loop inside the press box and like so everyone in the courtroom was just forced to watch it like on loop until they like tried to di- yeah it was like an animated gif of the collateral murder video like like the judge and prosecution were just like really uncomfortable <laughs> fidgeting around but um but yeah i think I, I i think it's amazing and it's just in the face of such adversity to come out and um it's just incredible, but it's just so offensive to see how many bigots there are openly. Like, I mean, it's just crazy. So the fact that I accept healthcare from my employer means that I must love my employer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't question anything, Lori. I mean, what it's, you know, I I have, I have to mention this again because I see it all the time. Still, what? is that a lot of people who are in sort of these fringe political movements that are very anti-government, a lot of them seem to be bigots. A lot of them are racist, too, and it's just really disturbing. Like, why... Like, it just doesn't even make sense to me how you could be so into the idea of, like, freedom and, you know, anti-tyranny, but then at the same time, like, make fun of someone for wanting to transition their gender or 
exclaim that the white person is the most in danger minority in the country. I mean, it just seems so bizarre that and you that could have hold both beliefs at the same really time. The yeah, misandry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a serious problem right now. It's, it's very serious. Very serious. In fact, and I'm going to start a crusade about it. Black on white crime and misandry <laughs> yeah, and yeah, transgender yeah. are the yeah. most serious issues going on the planet. Well, right it's now. just weird because like those beliefs. I mean, honestly. You know, we think that the right wings, right wingers in this country, like those sort of generic establishment right wingers, have always been this extreme and have always been that racist and homophobic. But like that was, that was originally more fringe. Like Pat Pat Buchanan, back in like the late '80s, I remember he had like a political rally where he had a white guy in like a business suit in a cage on stage, and it had a sign on it that said like "Endangered Species." Wait, what? Yeah. And like, and I remember like Michael Moore did a thing about it, and like other people were like, it was on the news as like he, people were making fun, like fun right, of him right. on the it's mainstream news, sure. like like almost like they would make fun of like mm. um, who the fuck is that? I don't know, like, the, Palin, like, like Pat Robertson Bachman, or something, yeah. like just really stupid shit. And now that has actually become the like the mainstream of the like sort of right wing thinking apparatus or like propaganda apparatus like the whole idea of like black on white crime the whole the whole idea of this concept of reverse racism as being like a serious well i love how issue. people say like the, i mean that if you're if you're saying that that's a serious issue then, then then you're already admitting that like real racism is like not an issue anymore and it's actually reverse yeah like, it's like you're acting like, like <laughs> it's like you're, either you're acting like at the very least it's been neutralized yeah, because yeah. there is like <laughs> like if there's like black people out there who openly are raced against white people then like it, it like somehow neutralizes like ra- and, racism and the perfect example of this and i'm sure i'll get some shit for this I but that. i don't care because it's fucking true <laughs> is that the standard ground laws are racist i mean if people seriously argue that that whole trayvon thing is not <clears throat> racially motivated at all then what how do you explain melissa alexander same state use the standard ground defense and i know that that george Zimmerman didn't end up using the standard ground defense but all the jurors admitted that that helped sway their decision that is a standard ground state that's already influencing the decision so don't tell me that that had nothing to do with it so this woman melissa alexander fired a warning shot against her abusive husband in her home that had abused her in the past and she got 20 years in prison and she used the standard ground law as a defense for her case and she was a black woman and i mean i don't know that that is just one example of just like two opposite sides of the spectrum of someone actually getting like jail time an inordinate amount of jail time for firing a warning shot and using that same law and getting penalized for it well sure i mean it's it's like you know i mean what was cornell west said last time he was talking about this i saw him on bill maher show oh god i can't say one more thing is that the jury was like almost all white women and they all said like that they thought george zimmerman did the right thing because they were like they would be scared of trayvon martin too if he was in their yard it's like why i mean it just i don't know what were you gonna say about cornell west no i was just gonna say that i mean it's uh, it's if anyone doesn't believe that the justice system is is skewed against uh, black Americans, then watch. I mean, just just look at the statistics of drug use among different ethnic minorities compared to white people. It's about equal. Like pulling data for like illegal drug use, mm-hmm. like and and even like addiction, like drug addiction. It's pretty much the same. Like it's like even among like blacks and whites. And in some cases, almost more among whites, but yet drug convictions 
rates for blacks are like something like four times higher. I'm probably using the wrong statistic. Maybe Stephen, you might know the right statistics on that. But I'll, wait, I wanted to say one really quick thing before we get into the whole criminal justice system argument about. Oh, I don't, we don't need to go we there. No, yeah, no, no, that's I just a wanted whole, to say. I just wanted to whole... say. I wanted to say yeah. just one thing about how I. I actually don't think that it was proven without a shadow of a doubt that George Zimmerman did um, murder Trayvon. And I think that just like that other case of the woman, what was that woman's name with the little kid who died and everyone was like up in arms because it wasn't, she wasn't guilty. Casey Anthony. It's like, these are two cases where if you do believe in the rule of law and like the criminal justice system as it should be, then like, then I don't disagree necessarily with the verdict because I don't think it was proven without a shadow of a doubt. However, I do think that he... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing people need to remember is like, we we were not in the courtroom, first of all, so we don't, we're just seeing it filter through the news in the first place. But then like, that's how the criminal justice system ideally is supposed to work. That It's like, unless you're absolutely sure. Yeah, it's like, blame the law. Blame the the law. Don't blame like the, yeah, hold on. Steven wants to say something. Go for it. We have our friend Steven here from, uh, come visiting from Santa Ana. Hi, Steven. (laughs) Steven, Steven. Santa Ana, California. Um, I wanted that's a, I think a really good point. Blame the law. I thought it was kind of interesting the way that louder. I'm being told to speak louder. Is that loud enough? Just closer and louder. Yeah, that's better. <clears throat> um, I thought it, I thought it was interesting. The react. Of course, yeah, I have a lot of friends you know who are really upset about the verdict, the uh, George Zimmerman acquittal, and I can certainly understand why. Uh, you know, you would be you would be upset about that, but I thought. I think it's kind of interesting to consider that, you know, instead of blaming the jurors or saying that the jurors did the wrong thing or blaming the judge, um, you know, the law actually did say that all Zimmerman had to do to get off to be acquitted was to prove that he actually feared for his life, right? So I'm kind of interested in um, what that means when... The truth is, you know, then there's there's empirical evidence, there's science to prove this is a fact that when a lot of white people encounter a black stranger, they become afraid, right? Compared to the way that they might react yeah. to encountering a white stranger. Yeah. So what does that mean for black Americans when someone like Zimmerman only has to prove that he became legitimately afraid? What it kind of means is that if you encounter a black stranger you have the right in Florida at least to destroy them <laughs> because you're afraid. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's an interesting, a different way to think about it rather than thinking about the jurors were racist or that somebody yeah. did something wrong rather like think a little bit more about how the law is actually is just at its core, not designed to protect certain classes of people and it, or, or rather it's designed to protect the Zimmermans. It's designed to, And this has been historically true for the whole history of this country, you know, that there were certain people who were not in mind when we made laws to protect. Absolutely. It's kind of like a one shoe size fits all kind of thing. It's like there's clearly different nuances and circumstances that could arise that are completely not addressed by a situation like the laws in Florida in that situation. Like scientifically, like as you just said, like a that like whether you are openly racist or closeted racist or not racist at all, you might still have an intrinsically fearful reaction of a black person approaching you on a darkened Mm -hmm. street late at night. And that's all you would have to prove in the stand your ground law. And that's disturbing. Like that, that's, 
that's the that's real i mean that's a real law and so yeah i mean you know, i just think it's interesting to think <laughs> more about you know instead of criticizing the and, and it's always when these cases happen that symbolize some bigger problem in the country that it's almost like no matter what happens here justice isn't going to be served so we really shouldn't talk about justice wasn't served in this mm -hmm. case because if he were convicted if he were convicted of something you know that would almost be I, I almost feel like the way it panned out, the, the acquittal of George Zimmerman was a more honest reflection of what the justice system is actually designed to do, how it more how it works day to day. I mean, there have been so many cases just like Trayvon Martin that aren't getting a ton of media coverage that have happened since then. And the way it happened, the acquittal, this, that's an honest reflection of the way it typically happened. So if he were convicted, you know, then it would almost be like a way for us to lie to ourselves that justice you know yeah. on the whole is really like there to protect you know people like Trayvon Martin I don't think it is that's just yeah. my opinion that's good good excellent, great excellent commentary Stephen, yeah. I totally agree with you actually and I'm sorry for even getting wrapped up in like the race baiting stuff but well every I mean that's the thing it's like there's so many emotionally manipulative mm -hmm. headlines out there and stuff and like you know if you read something like the Drudge Report it's just it's so no, what's weird about Drudge Report is it's not—it's an aggregate site, so it's not—he's not writing any commentary. He doesn't, you know, he apparently doesn't have an editorial opinion on things. But clearly, he has a—it's like the agenda is to like make it seem like there was all these reasons why Trayvon Martin should have been killed and why mm -hmm. he was like a monster. Like I remember, it was just—it was just like inundating, you know, the readership. And then like he would go into the comment sections for Drudge, which if anyone out there is listening and you're curious about. You know this level of racism is it real or not is it, am i you know are people exaggerating it is it really out there you know sometimes you almost just have to see it i mean obviously anyone who's gone onto a youtube video has seen like <laughs> the jews did you know it's like all about jews right. and there's just so many it's like kind of like an internet meme now to be racist on youtube it's sort of bizarre that that happened but i mean on the drudge report articles it's like more focused racism where it's all these generic sort of fox news watching conservative republicans just sort of using what they think is coded racist language, but it's like ridiculously racist. Like right. they'll just, and, and it's in every article, go to any article linked from drudge that has anything to do with race and look at the comments, just look at like 10 comments and see for yourself. And then what's also interesting is as soon as like somebody's like, you're, you know, drudge reports a racist website to be like, what are you talking about? There's no opinion whatsoever on drudge. It's all aggregate. You know, he's just doing, it's like, but, don't you understand that like when he shows like a really unflattering People. picture of a black person with like some sort of heinous headline that that in and of itself is editorial well, like we're that's also a headline like, culture now like we just learn yeah headlines. i mean that yeah for sure and it's like the twitter yeah it's like people do not read articles i mean i'll post something on twitter and someone will ask me a question like oh what did do? and you're like did you fucking read the article because you just asked me a question that's in the damn article so are you if you think that i'm just spouting off headlines and that's like the end all be all of whatever i'm trying to say then you're a complete moron yeah Sorry. and what drudge will do is he'll just take he'll like make his own headlines right you know he'll take something out of an article that has some sort of implication of like a like say like a black person assaulting a white person and that will be like the headline whereas the article is just about some like random crime that happened in like a <laughs> you know a town that has like nothing no relevance well i wanted to say but, one more thing about just the racism in the criminal justice system is that uh you know just the stop and frisk program and like 
the fact that more black people, I mean, it was like, what, 75% of Hispanics and black people that were pulled over and, um, and searched, unconstitutionally searched and for drugs and whatever. You're talking and, about the New York law? Yeah. And, and like they've used it saying, well, it worked because crime went down. And so people use that. And first of all, just totally taken in a vacuum. And like, there's no real causal relation to the stop and frisk program working, but it's also just so ridiculous of a concept that people actually use that to argue that black people are inherently more violent like it's just the most stupid shit ever and it's like that's that's the mainstream media culture is that people honestly just watch the news and see things like that and just think that it's true without understanding anything like mm-hmm. well, why why are minority populations more like why is there more violent crime in pockets of minorities like why you know yeah it yeah. stems from inequality and it stems from from those issues, those broader social issues that it just we we don't ever address them because we're so dumbed down. We can't have like a proper debate or conversation about why things are the way they are. I keep saying that, but it's true. Well, it's just nothing is contextualized in the right in the right way. And like the stop and frisk, you know, the stop and frisk law in New York. I remember when I first heard about it, it was sort of like. I didn't really know much about it and I didn't really understand that it was literally like that you can just stop you for for just like to, and Walk tell in. you to search you for no reason. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like, you know, almost like a mini sort of arrest kind of a situation. I didn't really understand. So when I read it and I read that it was racist, part of me was like, is it really racist? Like, I feel like that's almost like it might be like a knee jerkery mm-hmm. or something. Like, I just a small part of me thought that when I f- just initially read it and then like, I, I then I watched a video of a guy who was stopped in frisk, like a hidden video. He blew it up, yeah. He and, blew up the case. Yeah, and like yeah. it was like they were police were calling him a mutt. Yeah. It was like it was just like it was like a scene out of like a Spike Lee movie <laughs> when like white cops are like fucking with like a yeah. like some you know like black kid or something. It was like that ridiculous. And I was just like, wow. Like so, this is just. So it's just like exactly what the worst, you know, you would imagine in your mind well, yeah, when you think of like just ruled that it was unconstitutional cops. and that it was like <laughs> based on race, like race, mm-hmm. like just, and it was totally unconstitutional and yet they're not ending it. It's just like a recommendation for more oversight yeah. in the program. I mean, even though it's been completely like proven to be, yeah, do you want to say something else? Oh, I, I just want to say I'm starving. I was going to order food. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, we're almost done. Um, and there's this there's this woman who wrote a book called The New Jim Crow. I don't know if you know who who wrote that, Stephen. But she but in it, I mean, she's talking about how more black people are in prison than were enslaved in like eighteen fucking I don't know like eighteen oh five or whatever the <laughs> fuck the date is. But it's like I don't know why that it's was like funny, but and and there's also statistics that like you are more likely to end up in jail if you're a black man than you are with like a job if you have a high if you don't have a high school diploma. So I mean. There are serious issues going on right now. Obviously, they're very deep rooted in the legal system, but yeah, it's it's easy to get trapped in like race baiting if you're on the right or the left and kind of miss the bigger picture. Yeah, and I just find it. I mean, I'm gonna call it Infowars again because like I really find it abhorrent how much they're playing into this sort of like reverse racism, race baiting, Pat Buchanan bullshit like thing. It's just it's disgusting. Like, I mean, I know that there was always hints of sort of like racist thought running throughout Infowars, like ever since I read it and I was able to tolerate it. But like now it's just completely in the same zone as like the generic right wing well, agenda. Mean, the birther thing is so offensive to me because yeah. it's so fucking baseless and it's so easy to just like 
distract and discredit everyone that, and just to lump in people who are like legitimately questioning things with like birthers and like now truthers are birthers and yeah. the fact that Infowars picked up all that just like blanketly it's like dude that is so racist in its premise who gives a fuck if Obama is Kenyan I don't give a flying fuck I don't care if he's Kenyan. I don't care if he's Muslim. All these things don't matter. If he's a socialist, if he's fucking Muslim, if he's Kenyan, who cares? Does it? What does that do? Like, what is so shocking at your core that's like threatening the preservation of your like whatever who you are as a person? Is that really such a threat to you that someone could be either Muslim yeah. or Kenyan or like born not in this country? I mean, what does that really mean? Well, that's like the bridge that I mean. It's I feel like that is an important bridge to cross. Is that there are so many people who feel just as vehemently anti the U.S. government policy as we do. But a lot of them are coming at it from this sort of like, I love my country so much and I don't, <laughs> and I don't want... It's like, I love my country so much and I love my heritage so right, much right. as like a white frontiersman, right. like American, that I just want to preserve the you know what I love the most about this country. And the government is like... You know, letting the Mexicans in, and the, yeah. it's like it's like they're coming at it from this more jingoistic, nationalistic ideal that, and I just wish that we could somehow just like bridge that gap with those kind of people because I I can't relate to anyone who's coming at it from that side. You know, right. even though I might be just as passionately anti-Obama well, as they are. Yeah, we need to bridge this gap between these factions. We're in fight. There's so much infighting, and just put your like yes if you have like bigotry that's seri- a serious problem that you need to address but we need to obviously understand empathy acknowledge the fact that we have way more to unite upon to fight this system than we do to oppose each other and like this infighting and divide and conquer shit that's going on is just totally destructive and we really need to move past that if we really want to fight <clears throat> what's going on and right now um, we're losing big time I mean, in that regard, I mean, it seems like there's more infighting now yeah, there's more, than ever before. I don't mean that we're losing the battle. There's Obviously, a lot of divide and conquer style politics and divides that are just seem to be just worsening, you know? Like, yeah, people ask me all the time, like, what are you, a socialist? Because I like have Peter Joseph on or talk about yeah. psychics. I'm like, I'm not in anything. Let's talk about the ideas that work, things that haven't worked, and try to formulate a new because we need to reinvent the wheel here. We can't keep reverting back to these old school paradigms that have failed us over and over again and use them to box each other off and discredit each other and fucking don't listen to each other. No, it's That's just bullshit. Yeah, it's like it's almost like the whole the vocabulary words used in these kind of debates is just like it's been like flooded it's it's like now we need to evacuate it drain it out and like start yeah. over because those terms are essentially meaningless mm-hmm. terrorism socialism mm-hmm. communism even capitalism as mm-hmm. it exists today is not capitalism mm-hmm. in the traditional definition of it so like there needs to be new these words need to be more fluid people don't should not react to them in those sort of like well, you're a socialist, so you must mean this. I mean, that it's just not. That's just not how the world even works anymore. Just on like a practical level, yeah. you know. Like even if we're talking ideals, like we want to move past these old systems. It's more just like that's not a reflection of the real world in general. Right. Just like on a right, we're facing practical. a new monster that we've never seen before. It's uniting on a global front, phasing out the last remaining independent states quote unquote even if you agree with them or don't we need to unite together we need to band together whoever cares about civil liberties whoever cares about human rights people who don't want to spend all of our money on militarism and and bombing people then let's unite together and put all this shit aside because really we need to reinvent the wheel here um and we can't let them do this to us because they they're clearly 
manipulating the conversation, manipulating the narrative in a really strong way. And I just hate to see people fall into the trap because I know that we're better than that and we can see through the bullshit and the propaganda. Um, But, yeah, I mean, when people say let's revert back to 1776, it's like, but we had slavery and women didn't have the right to vote. Why would you want to go back to something (laughs) that we've obviously like, no, let's move forward. Let's not revert back 300 years, I mean, or 200 years or whatever. Let's move forward and and, and try to figure out how we can make the world better with the technological advances that we've seen, the Mm -hmm. boom in industry. We can can make a better world. We have the ability. We have the technology. We have the innovation and the imagination. So let's not you know let's not get stuck into that kind of yeah and let's also not get stuck into these sort of like pre-existing manufactured paradigms of like well it's like well that's you know in 1776 they had slavery so like the constitution is garbage you know like it's like because those are the things that have i mean fundamentally the freedom of speech the right to privacy i mean those things are what has allowed you to live the way that you do you know like and have also other countries have adopted those sort of like frameworks as well so i just to me it just it's like there's it's just so much more nuance than that like there are there there are these concepts that are very important that we've lost but then there's also things that we've moved on from that are terrible and that we're in a much better place from now and we like there's we need to hybridize and like you know like there's there are things that are very valuable that have existed like 200 years before you know women even had any rights you know like the magna carta and stuff like that so like right there i mean it's just i don't know i mean yeah i completely yeah i think that i like that idea hybridize revolutionize your thought shed yourself of all fear and just fucking go for it because we got to do it dude we can't live in fear we can't let we can't let that rule over us. The chilling effects already in full effect going after even establishment journalists, NSA spying on fucking everyone. So you no longer have to worry about getting on a list or whatever. Dude, we're all on the list now. We're all being spied on. So just fucking put your thoughts out there. Yeah. Be passionate. Go and, and make moves. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, and, and good, you know, thank God for people like Lynn Greenwald who are like going out there and, and basically testing the limits of how far mm-hmm. you can go for everyone else because it's almost like nobody re- that's part of the problem is nobody really knows how far you can take sort of revolutionary and anti-authoritarian ideas until you'll be stopped right. and what will happen to you so like we need more people trying to test these limits out there because and the more support and light and transparency on each other and like you know support we have for each other and people like Glenn Greenwald the harder it will be for them to be taken down Yes. And so we just got to keep, we got, uh, we have to have a million more Glenn Reynolds. We have to just keep speaking up. Don't back down. Because we need to preserve, like (laughs) I just said, don't preserve these old school things. We need to preserve like the fundamental things that we know we need. Free speech, freedom of the Mm -hmm. press, these kind of things, the freedom to organize. I mean, and and at the same time, we need to be in the streets demanding these things because really, um, obviously the power hungry motherfuckers that rule the world don't give a shit about human will. They don't care about popular support if you look at polls even though i don't believe polls it's like overwhelming people probably don't want war with syria but they don't care um so really there's a lot of different things that need to happen but all of us can use our purchasing power to phase out giant corporations if we really wanted to you can make the corporate media completely irrelevant you can start paying paying attention to local municipal 
um, referendums and like local bodies of government because federal elections are total bullshit and they're a distraction. <clears throat> and you can also just be the change you wish to see in your own world with your own family, yourself, your community, and talk about the things that you're passionate and put your voice out there in any way that you can. Um, and that's really how we're going to win this fight. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was just thinking when you mentioned the Syria thing, uh, you know, most people probably... You know, if they were shown what the results of that would be in a certain way, they wouldn't. I don't. I really believe in human beings to once they see the horrors of the reality of a situation, they will think differently about it. When it's sanitized them, when it's presented to them in a, this candy-coated way, then they're going to. Of mm-hmm. course, they're going to be more easily manipulated by it. But like, you know, show them a, a videotape of what it lo- would look like if we invaded. <laughs> You know, like a videotape of the aftermath of like bombing a campaign in Syria, mm-hmm. all the bodies, all the destruction, all the businesses, you know, shut down, all the cars blown up. I mean, I just don't think that people on a fundamental level that that they want that, you know, no, and it's just like, know. yeah, I don't we'll start it, extending our empathy globally, because if we keep thinking in terms of like American lives and, and Americans and this and that, it's just we're never going to really understand the world as it is and as it should be so that's my final word everyone thank you for listening are you ready to wrap it up yeah cool uh thanks for listening media roots radio we're gonna start releasing these regularly so stay tuned subscribe to us on soundcloud we're gonna try to get our stuff up on itunes as well and check out media roots um check out abbymartin.org i have an art site where you can check out some of my art robbie's uh music label record label records.org he has a bunch of awesome new releases on there check out his film american bisque three-part series we'll link it on the soundcloud um timeline right now if you want to learn more about that check out our last podcast kind of talking more in depth about what that movie's about check out breaking the set about to launch year two starting september 3rd on youtube hulu rt.com and i'll put the best stuff up on media roots as well thanks for listening everyone peace and don't forget to mention that you're well should i spoil this that you're um gonna do a 9-11 oh yeah well, i'm gonna do the week of 9-11 i have a lot of great stuff uh planned out so definitely stay tuned to all the motherfuckers who tried to say that i wasn't <laughs> i didn't care about the cause still i mean like you're a you know, shill, Abby. Yeah, I'm a shill. You didn't have architects and engineers I mean, for it's like, dude, truth just, on. Come on, just give me a break here. But no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I can and and put the voices out there who I think are really uh, who need to be heard about that issue. So stay tuned for that. And to anybody who's still <clears throat> following the, the whole 9/11 cause, there is a new film out. I don't know how new it is, but I highly recommend watching it. It is. Um, it's called 9-11 Families in Their Own Words, and it's basically a, an hour and a half long movie, new film made out of unused footage from 9-11 Press for Truth, and it's amazing. It has basically footage in it that you've never seen before. Um, congressmen, like, crying in front of, you know, the House basically saying, like, how much of a cover-up this is, how ridiculous it is that people are accepting this. I mean, just stuff that you it would even shock you if you know everything about 9-11 that you think you know. So, um, we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.
Don't lie. 